You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our time together, turning for guidance to the Christian mystic, Matilda Magdeburg. Uh, In in this session, uh, I'll be reflecting on her book, The Flowing Light of the Godhead, book three, uh, the second section. And as in the previous session, as I stop at each little aspect of this as she goes through it, I'll share with you what I see in it, like what it evokes in me, in my familiarity with these traditions, and what it speaks to me, says to me. So you can then, in a prayerful way, if you're so inclined, just sit with it and see what it evokes in you. And this way we'll be joining her and Jesus in their love language with each other. And uh, and this is this is turning to Mictel. This is having her guide us in this love language. So she begins. O sweet Jesus, most handsome image, unconcealed to my exiled soul in distress and in love. In love I praise you through yourself, in distress and in love, in union with all creatures, I yearn to do this above all things. And so she is saying to Jesus, having us listen in as she says to Jesus, see that Jesus is the most handsome and the most beautiful or noble of image, the image of the invisible God. See, unconcealed to my exiled soul, that we're, we're in an exiled state. That is, God is all about us and within us, closer to us than we are to ourselves. Uh, This infinite reality pouring itself out and giving itself to us as our very reality in our nothingness without God, the reality of everyone and everything. But we don't see God with our eyes. We can't touch God with our hands. We can't grasp God with our mind. So we're in an exiled state. But in the exiled state, through the gift of faith, we're interiorly illumined uh, in the light of faith to see God being revealed to us in our exiled state. So, oh, image unconcealed, that is unrevealed and laid bare in my exiled state, I interiorly see you seeing me. I interiorly sense your unexplainable oneness with me and your love for me, my exiled soul. And I sense this in my distress. That is, when I am distressed, I sense that I'm not alone in my distress, that you're with me in my distress, and you're just, you're just sustaining me in my distress. And even when my distress becomes intensified to the point of trauma, where I, I, I can no longer sense your presence, I know in faith that you are with me, sustaining me in ways that I cannot feel and I do not understand. And you are with me in love, in moments where I enjoy or savor loving and being loved. 
because you're, I see your infinite love shining through the love of the moment, transcending the love of the moment. And it, so that the, and knowing too that this love that I feel for this person or this person's love for me or for the earth or for animals, whatever, I know that this, this, this love is your love being incarnate and poured out in and as being loved and loving this person, the world, and all, and all things. And so in my exiled soul, you're unconcealed in my distress and you're unconcealed in my love. In love, I praise you through yourself, in distress and in love and in union with all creatures. I yearn to do this above all things. <laughs> you can see how uh, intuitively dense her metaphorical imagery is. So let's walk through the phrasing to what I see in it. See, in love, it's in love, I praise you. So it's when I'm in this stance of interior love, that in this love, I praise you through yourself, for you are the love through whom and by whom I am being loved, and you are the love that is the love in which I'm praising you. So it's an all-encompassing, atmospheric love. And not just that, not just through me, in my, just in union, but with all creatures, that I see that your love is permeates all Creatures, the darkness of the night, the stars moving overhead in, in the dark, the sound of our own breathing, uh, the, the, the smell of flowers, the mountains, the, 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 the waves crashing on the beach. I, I see that all, I see in your, this is your loving presence being poured out in and as the darkness, in and as the light, in and as the, the animals and the birds and so on. And uh, this God-given godly nature, this God-given divinity of all things and the shared nothingness without you, Lord, this love, this love nature of all things. And I yearn to do this above all things, that as I yearn to see this above all things, and I yearn to surrender to this above all things is to grow in this, my ever more habitual awareness of your the flow of your infinite love that alone is ultimately real, is life of my life, breath of my breath, like this. I yearn for this. And so you see the gift of longing. And I think for us, maybe very clear that that, that longing isn't given to us, but there is a sincerity of our longing to long more deeply. I, I, it's true, my longing comes and goes. My longing comes and goes, but in me is a sincerity of my longing to become ever more faithful and surrendered over to this longing that echoes God's infinite longing for me. Then she goes on. Lord, you are the sun for all eyes. You are the light of all ears. You are the voice of all words. You are the force behind all piety. You are the teaching of all wisdom. You are the life of all that lives. You are the ordering of all that is. I want to walk through this kind of rephrasing or echoing this, this uh, unitive nature of God's all-pervasive love. Lord, you are the sun for all eyes. Lord, I think poetically she's saying that when I look, when I see the light shining out from the sun, I see the light shining out from you 
incarnate in and as the light of the sun in his nothingness without you. But the light of the sun is you. Because without you creating the sun, moment by moment by moment, there's no sun. It's, it's given by you and incarnates you. You are the delight of all ears. For all the sounds that delight us, the song of birds, the beloved's voice, all the sounds that cause delight, you are that delight. Uh, you, you are the delight of the sounds that delight is you. It's you. You, you are the voice of all words. All these words, you're the voice of those words. Particularly, you are the voice of those words in your words to us and Jesus and the scriptures. It's your voice in the words. But also, it's your voice in our words when we speak words of love, when we speak words of sincerity, when we see someone in distress and stop and ask, are you okay? Uh, you are the voice that's incarnate in my words to that person, asking if they're okay. It is this. And, and of course, for us too, we, we waver in this fidelity, for we say words that are not untrue to love. Uh, and so God is still loving us in, in, in these waywardness of our words that we use uh, with less than loving, less than truthful ways. Uh, until we can resume, realize what we're doing and get back into this words of repentance and words of trying harder and words of being reinstated again in the truth of these words. These are the words of poets. Yeah, these are the words of lovers. These are the, the cry of the poor. This is the healing word. It's, these God, it's God's voice. It is the voice of all these words. You are the force behind all piety. It is my, my devotional sincerity. It is the momentum of your, of your love for me that is manifesting and felt in my devotional, pious sincerity and my searching for you, circling back upon itself and giving it back to you, giving yourself to me in the sincerity or the piety of my heart. The piety that she was writing these reflections, the piety in which I'm sharing it with you, that, that God is this piety. And God is the piety of your sincerity of hearing these words of love. God is the gift that's given to you insofar as you're touched by the beauty of these love words. And you are the life of all that lives. And so when Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly, it is the life that is at once God's and our own. And so you are the life of all that lives, which is the divinity of all that lives, all people, all living things. You are that life incarnate in and as their life and their nothingness without you. And you are the ordering of all that is. There's a kind of a spacious symphonic order to the unfoldings of nature, the patterns of time, and so on. And you are that order. That order is playing itself out in these ways. She continues. So, as she finishes this litany of, of seeing God's love, telling God that she sees God's love is manifested in and as all things. Then God turns around, and it's God's turn. And here we see, running through the whole book, this reciprocity of love 
between the soul and God. Then God praised the loving soul in fine words. So now God's saying, now it's, God says to her, no, now it's my turn. Uh, and, and God takes great delight in saying this back to us. So God says to her and God says to us, you are the light of my eyes. You are the liar to my ears. You are a voice for my words. You are a projection of my piety. You are an honor to my piety. You are a life living in me. You are a praise in my being. Let's walk through this. See, it isn't just, you know, sometimes uh, in images when parents sometimes, and their small child walks into the room, they light up inside. Or when there's a loved one, a friend, a dear one that we haven't seen in a long time, and, and uh, the moment we see them again, we light up inside. And it isn't just that we light up inside, but somehow the presence of the beloved is the light that illumines our eyes. And God tells, Mictel tells us, that's how I see you. It isn't just that I light up inside and seeing you, but, but you are the light of my eyes. That I keep my pouring myself out in a self-donating act as you as the beloved, that the light of yourself shining out as my beloved illumines me like this. You're a dear unto me. You're a liar to my ears. That that it, it's your it's your voice. It's the sound of your voice that is music to me. You know the the voice of the beloved. The voice of the beloved. You know, on a personal note, I was struck by this. Thought of is uh, when Maureen died two years ago. I'm used to have pictures of her here, and I'm I'm used to that now. I'm fine with it. But I remembered that there was an audio video of our wedding and uh, at the Holy Spirit Retreat Center. And I put it in, I, I couldn't bear to hear her voice. Just to hear her voice, I started crying. I had to turn it off. That, that somehow the voice carries with it the presence of the person um, that, 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 that touches us, the, the living word, this logos that is the very presence of the beloved. And you are a voice to, to my words. Also, I think you're a voice to my words in that when you say things that console and help others, it is me speaking through you, using your voice to speak through you to say the words that help others. God tells us, you are a projection or you are the manifested presence of my piety, that your devotional sincerity is, is the manifested presence of my infinite devotional sincerity towards you and sustaining you forever as my beloved. You are an honor to my piety. That is, your, the sincerity of the way you walk your walk is an honor to the deep piety of devotional love that I feel for you as my beloved. You are a life living in me. It isn't just that God is the infinite life giving itself to us as our life, but because that is so, God tells us that we are a life living in the infinite life of God, life unto life. You are a praise to my being, that our very presence, just who we are, the mystery of identity of who we are is the praise of God's very being giving us our identity, 
giving us our reality as a person created by God in the image and likeness of God. Hearing this, then, Mictold says to God, Lord, you are constantly lovesick for me. That you have clearly shown personally. You have written me into your book of the Godhead. You have painted me in your humanity. You have buried me in your side, in your hands and feet. Ah, oh, allow me, dear one, to pour balsam upon you. Let's walk through this. She says to this to the to the goddess, the beloved. Lord, you are constantly lovesick for me, paraphrasing it. Is that you, you, you have freely chosen to be so hopelessly in love with me that you are letting me know you honestly don't know how you could handle being God without me, that you're lovesick for me. And so God freely chose to create her, to create me, to create you as the one that God has freely chosen not to be able to live without, as, as the beloved. And so this infinite love is lovesick for us and, and longs for us. And that you have shown me this personally and you have written me into your book of the Godhead. And the book of the Godhead is the book that, she's, that God is dictating to her, the flowing light of the Godhead. And, and you are written in, in this book. You're the one who gave it the title, this. But also, you've written me in your book of the Godhead, and here you can see the Eckhart, the Dominican influence of the Godhead. So you have written me into the abyss-like depths of yourself, making the abyss-like depths of yourself to be the abyss-like depths of myself. The, the, the generosity of the infinite is infinite, and we are the generosity of God. We are the song God sings. And so you have made the abyss-like depths of yourself to be the abyss-like depths of myself in this oneness of the Godhead, beyond the Trinity, beyond words, beyond explanation. You have painted me into your humanity like a poor John of the Cross has this lovely image of sitting in prayer. And imagine you sit very still, that God is delicately etching the image of God on your heart as you sit there given over to this silent love. You have buried me in your side. And now here we see allusions to the, to the crucifixion. To Jesus, see, you buried me into your side. So we were saying in an earlier reflection, you know, it says that when Jesus died, they pierced his heart with a lance, and blood and water flowed out as in the birth of a child. And when the blood and water flowed out at the birth of the child, there was no more Jesus left in Jesus. And when there was no more Jesus left in Jesus, the only Jesus that was ever really there is manifested unexplainably throughout the world to this day. And so we're and so when Jesus says, come follow me, some call of follow me, he's calling us to be emptied by love at the hands of love until nothing's left of us but love. And into your, into your hands and feet, the wounds in Christ's hands and feet, the wounds, which are these wounds of love. We saw this so strongly in Juliana of Norwich. It's very interesting, too, I think, poetically, uh, that when Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus rose with his wounds the eternality of suffering, but it's the wounds and glory that is the eternality of the suffering transformed in and taken up into this glory. And it isn't just the time will be no more, the suffering will be no more. 
And these hands of which you speak, these, these are my very hands. They're your very hands. It's like when we, when we look at the palms of our own hands, we're looking at the mystery. Meister Eckhart, or rather uh, Martin Heidegger, has this understanding. He said there's two ways to understand a horizon. One is the horizon is the point beyond which we can't see. So I'm here looking out at the ocean right now. I can't see beyond the horizon as I look out the window, and this is true. He said, another way to look at the horizon is where the unmanifested is manifesting itself. And so when you look at the palms of your own hands, the palms of your own hands are God's horizon. Your, your very hands are God's horizon, your very feet, you're the very immediacy of yourself, incarnate infinity intimately realized. You have buried me in your side, in your hands, in your feet. Allow me, dear one, she's saying to God, see, to pour balsam upon you. That is, to ease you in your longing for me, in your longing for all of humanity, to pour this balsam, this healing balsam. Then God says to her, O oh, one dear to my heart, where shall you find the balm? to ease my longings for you, my longings for all of humanity. And she says to God in her zeal, Oh Lord, I, I'm going to tear the heart of my soul in two and intended to put you into it. I love that phrase, the heart of my soul. If our soul is the interiority of ourself, created by God in the image and likeness of God, the heart of our soul, is the innermost hidden center of our soul, and she's tearing our soul apart to put God's longing in there as the balm to ease the longing that it might be fulfilled there. An image I have of this too, ever notice that there's someone you love very much and they're slipping away from you in some way, tragically or in death, whatever, and uh, they're on a course of being done in. In your love for them, you, you're beside yourself. You would do anything to try to save them. You would do anything to uh, put them at ease. You would do anything to save them from distress, like the urgency of love. And so she's speaking out of that urgency. I would tear my soul in two and put you into it. And then God says to her, you could never give me a more soothing balsam than to let me unceasingly lie weightlessly in your soul. So God says, I'm touched by the zeal of your enthusiasm. But you know what? There's, there'd be no greater balm than for you to let me rest weightlessly in your soul. And to me, I think it's this was what I see in it, is that God, God is resting in our soul. God is, God is all about us, and God is within us. And closer to us than we are to ourselves, God is within us. But to let God be within us is to assent to that, is to assent to let God. And what's it mean to let God rest weightlessly? It's without a should. It's without some sense we have to overcome something before God rests in us. We have to attain something before God rests in us. We have to, Thomas Burton once said at the monastery, we're all walking around with a secret little list inside. Once I stop doing this and this and this and this, God and I will really get close. 
once I begin to do this and this and this, God and I will really get close. And he said, the thing is to realize there's no, with God, there's no list. It's already finished. It's already over. God's infinitely in love for you uh, forever and ever and ever like this. And, and so to let, just let me rest there in you wordlessly, which is really a poetic metaphor for heaven, for all of eternity, uh, this, this resting uh, without answers or shoulds or needs or anything. See? So she says, then Lord, if you were to take me home with you, I would be your physician forever. So in a way, it's interesting. You see how love language is like this sometimes. She, in a way, he just said this to her. God just said this to her. But she's back again to uh, God uh, longing for her and God freely choosing to longing for her and God not resting until we are completely surrendered over and one with God. And so she says, Lord, take me home with you. I'll be your physician forever, for I know you can't. You have freely chosen as your beloved that you cannot bear to be without me. And so she reverses the salvific act. That is, it's, it's, Jesus is the divine physician who heals the wounds of our soul, which is, the which is love deprivation. So she turns it around, and we're now healing God's longing for us. See, Jesus, from the cause, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And so God is infinitely poured out and freely choosing to be surrendered over to uh, uh, being unable to bear to be God without us. But at the same time, remembering, even though God's infinitely poured out in this way, God remains sovereign. God remains uh, more than any possible thing that's created. God's infinitely more than the most. And so God who's infinitely more than the most is simultaneously freely choosing to, to get, this is lady love. See, this is the, the sovereignty of God given to us with the intimate tenderness with which God seeks us out in the intimacy of silent prayer, of our sincerity, of our days. And she ends this way. Lord, see, if you were to take me home with you, I'd be your physician forever. And God responds back. Yes, he says, I, I want that. He says, I want that. Still, my solicitude bid you wait. My love bid you labor. My patience bid you to keep silent. My concern bid you to suffer poverty. My dishonor bid you to bear up. My sufficiency bid you refrain from complaint. My victory bid you pursue to the end of all virtues. My goal bid you endure many things. For this you shall have glory when I remove your heavy burden. That's how it ends. I want to walk through this final thing. See, take me home with you and I'll be your physician forever. And God says, yes, I want that. Still, or maybe we might say, and yet, God is saying, in God's infinite solicitude for her, for us, God bids us, God bids her to wait. T.S. Eliot says in Four Quartets, he says, to hope too soon is to hope for the wrong thing. 
we might say, to love too soon is almost like you're not yet ready for love. Why? You haven't loved enough, and you haven't been loved enough, and you're not surrendered to love enough. And so, yes, I want that, but my solicitude for you waits until you're further purified by this love. See, purified by love at the hands of love, till there's nothing left of you but love. And so, uh, wait, see? and let the unraveling of love happen. See to it that you can't love and live on your own terms. And more and more and more, God says, we can learn from the infinite love of God how to live by love alone in the intimate unfoldings and details of our daily life. And so the waiting, then, is a purifying waiting. And God's one with us in the waiting. And God's the one who's keeping us waiting, knowing that in the waiting we are being unexplainably transformed in love. My love, God's love, God speaking, my love bids you to labor. But what kind of labor is this? I think it's this. One is certainly we, do, we labor and that we, we do love's work. See, all things considered, what's the most loving thing I can do right now for my body, for my mind, for this person, for this family, for, for society, for the world, for this plant, for this animal? There's that. But there's also another kind of labor in that when we sit in meditation, our hands are at rest in our lap. Our hands are at rest in our lap because this is, this is Sabbath. This is, this is freely choosing as an activity to passively be surrendered over to God's activity in us. It's like Mary. The Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And she says, let it be done unto me according to thy word. It's, it's a kind of paradoxical activity of freely surrendering as an act of freedom to this love that's giving itself to us. And uh, so my love bids you to labor this, like love's labor, this labor of this love-filled activity of waiting, surrendered over to this love. My patience bids you to keep silent. It's God's patience for you to keep silence. Uh, I was once, years ago, I was attending a Zen Christian meditation week-long retreat uh, by uh, a Jesuit priest. He was a Zen sensei from the Netherlands, Hans, I can't think of his last name. And in this little Dharma talk that he was giving, this was like a meditation intensive retreat, like meditating six hours a day kind of thing. He said, uh, there is an, um, this is how I remember it, I'll paraphrase it. And so he said that there, there's imposed silence, there's chosen silence and eternal silence. And in my sense, there's imposed silence in which we're being violated, in that we're being kept silent because if we say the truth, we'll be punished. It's an imposed silence, you dare not speak. There's another kind of imposed silence where out of respect we maintain, it's imposed out of respect, such as at a, at, at a, at a prayer service or at a funeral or in a library, anywhere it's imposed, but it's imposed as an act of kindness or respect for others. And likewise, there's a chosen silence. Again, there's a positive and negative version of this. There is the negative version of chosen silence is when evil is going on, you're in collusion with the evil by keeping silent like this. 
And I know this is a delicate matter as you kind of weigh out the consequences and how to sort that out. And, and uh, so it's, it's not even sincerely thinking it through to be prophetically present to speak up and how that you would say that. But there's also a chosen silence in that we choose the silence that allows us to listen to God speaking in us. Another way to say it is this. You know, Martin Buber says in I and Thou, often what passes for a dialogue is just interrupted monologue. When two people are arguing, sometimes they don't even let each other finish their sentences. In, in order to hear someone, we have to listen. In order to listen, we need to be, we need to be silent. G.K. Chesterton, see, he said, once said, we're bored to death by a story repeated over and over that we'd never really ever listened to. And so this deep listening, this is the listening of Lexio, this very deep listening. And here we're speaking of there is eternal silence. And so this is a deep silence of listening to the eternal silence of God. A silence out of which God is speaking us and the whole world into being forever. When I was in the monastery, there was perpetual silence. We didn't talk to each other. We used sign language, which when I was there. And uh, it was just, just perpetual silence. There was a chanting of the Psalms, but we lived in, 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 in silence. And once Thomas Merton, he was to give the sermon on a major feast day to the community. And he said to this whole room full of silent monks in a silent monastery, he said, whenever I say anything in this monastery, it humbles me, for everything said here should come out of silence. And he said, everything said here should deepen the silence, which is this awe and reverence and gratitude uh, to God, uh, speaking us and all things into being unexplainably uh, forever. And so also, so then when we speak, See, so then there are words that it disrupt the silence. Like we can't bear the intimacy of the silence. We intrude upon it. But then there's words that incarnate the silence. There are words like the chanting of the Psalms are not intrusion to the silence. The words I love you are not intrusions to the silence. The, the cry of the poor does not intrude on the silence and the healing word doesn't intrude. There's a living love logos a living word in which the cadences and rhythms of the words and bodies, the silence, eternally speaking to us, to all things, to this, this, the Logos, this word. My concern bid you suffer poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. So what is this poverty? The poverty is this deep acceptance that we were powerless to bring ourselves into existence. It's a deep acceptance of the poverty. We're powerless to keep ourselves in existence, as evidenced by death. Uh, we're, we're powerless by our own powers, to our own finite powers, to consummate the union that was awakened in us by the infinite love of God. For our finite powers have no. Uh, uh, residence or compatibility with this infinite love. That's a dilemma, a spiritual awakening. We're awakened by the infinite to the infinite and awakened by the infinite in a way that our finite powers are powerless to actualize this union of desiring this infinite union with infinite love. 
but it's a deep acceptance of our poverty. This is the portal through which this infinite love shines through and is incarnate in and as and empowers the poverty of our finite ways. As, as awkward or indirect or uh, as they might be, they might be that, that it's, it's just another one of these uh, kind of bittersweet interplays of love, like lived out in the patterns of our daily life. My dishonor bid you bear up. And here I think there's this allusion here then to the cross and to the crucifixion. That in, that in the cross, we see that, that Jesus, Jesus is, reveals that God's response to us in our dilemma, namely that we're exiled from this habitual underlying realization of God's endless oneness with us that alone is ultimately real. And then we act out that exile by the traumatizing things we do to ourselves and to each other, or the suffering ways of this world of broken humanity. And so God's response, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, God's response is to become identified with us as precious in our dilemma, not precious waiting for us to get past the dilemma, but we're already precious when we're still in the dilemma, like this. So that in the encounter with Jesus, or the encounter with experiential salvation, is that Jesus, or the infinite love of God, sees the brokenness better than we do, sees through it, to see in us this invincible preciousness is infinitely more real than the brokenness, as broken as we might be, like this. And so bear up, bear up, it's not easy. It's not easy, you, 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 everyone goes to their own abandonments, everyone goes to their own injustices, everyone goes to their own thing of not being really seen the way we are, of people who, whatever. And sometimes we unwittingly treat others that way. We try not to, but we act this out on each other. And so bear up. See, bear up, because it builds character. It builds character, it's, it strengthens us in character. My sufficiency bid you refrain from complaint. She said this in the previous session too, we read about that. You, where she tells God, you've taken away my friends, my life, everything. What you've done is you've taken away everything that's less than you to be enough for me to be at rest without you. I see what you've taken away? And he said, that's a petty complaint. So here again, see, my sufficiency bid you refrain from complaint, why? Because nothing's missing. Nothing's missing because I, this infinite love, am giving the infinite love of myself. Uh, Merton says, beating through your very blood whether you want it to or not, and the sun moving across the sky, standing up and sitting down, Jesus says, it's all me like this. What's impaired is your ability to see that, to see this love. And that's what this path is about, that you're healed from all that hinders you from seeing this effulgence or this fullness of love that is being poured out in endlessly varied ways in each moment of our life, on up to death and beyond. My victory bid you pursue to the end of all virtues. That is my victory, which is the resurrection. My victory over suffering, my victory over death. Uh, is for you to pursue to the end of all virtues. And what is, remember we were saying the end of all virtues is strength. To the end of all virtues, the end of the strength, to all the ways you depend on my strength, without me you can do nothing. 
at the end of all virtues, the virtus, the paradoxical virtue of freely surrendering to this love that freely surrenders to, to us and uh, to pursue that until the end, to, to receive for ourselves here all along, nothing ever was missing. It's being poured out unexplainably forever. My goal bids you endure many things. And what are things, remember? To endure the complexities and the realities of daily life. That the details of the day is a thing. Uh, the furniture in the room is a thing. The house payment and mortgage payment is a thing. Going to work out every day is a thing. Um, the, the troubling aspect of the thing. Being behind on our schedule is a thing. Uh, do you, the things, things, all around us, these things. My goal is for you to endure many things because if you endure many things, that is all the finite details of the day, you're able by enduring them patiently to see that they're ephemeral. They're, they're all passing away, just like the you that identifies with them is passing away. And it, once you see they're, they're, they're contingent. Once you see their, uh, the, the, their fleetingness, God says, you'll, we, then we see God shining out through everything. And God is a reality in and as everything. And it's nothingness without God. You know, in the rules say, benedic ora et labora, to prayer and pray and to work, labora. And so the daily work is not a rude intrusion in the mystical union. Because when we work, if you ever noticed, we cannot work and live entirely on our own terms. At the end of the day, there's always a few pieces unfinished. We, we meet the concreteness of life itself. And God's waiting for us to meet God there in the midst of the work. With an inner peace that's free from the outcome, uh, we just lean into it and do our best and uh, get up the next day and do it again as best we can like this, as love's work, labora. For this you shall have glory when I remove your heavy burden. And what is this? What is the this? It's all of this. For all this, namely, your life. For all of everything that you've gone through up till now, up to this very moment, he's, she's... He's telling her, at this very moment, you're writing these words in, the, in this book. In this very moment, the centuries later, I'm reading it to you and you're listening to it. See, God tells us, for all of this, for all of your life, all of her life, all of my life, for all of this, you shall have glory when I remove your heavy burden. And what is the burden? The burden is the burden that hinders your realization to see the true love that nothing is missing. And I, another way that I put it sometimes, it isn't just the burden where uh, the thorn in the flesh, you know, where we, we can't quite give up what compromises our heart, these patterns that we have that keeps us humble and dependent on God's mercy. But I think it's also the burden that we're addicted to finiteness. That is, we're addicted to who our finite self is and finite circumstances. Having the last say in who we are is the heavy burden in our heart. And it's love that lifts the burden. So I think in the stages of dying, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the stages of dying, like denial and bargaining and anger and depression and so on, that's the ego coming to the end see, of itself. 
She says, but when you come to acceptance, come to acceptance, it's freedom from death in the midst, it's free from the tyranny of death in the midst of death. And that's God lifting the heavy burden from the dying loved one's heart. And you look into their face, it's the gate of heaven. So why wait, love says, why wait until the 11th hour? Because the very desire to be, to have God says, the very desire to have God lift the heavy burden from our heart is itself God given to us as the desire to lift the burden from our heart. And that very desire to lift it, then it's already lifted. And insofar as we still feel the weight of it, that's the thorn in the flesh that teaches us love's ways, uh, depending on God's mercy, uh, guiding us unexplainably uh, through, these, through these depths of love. So uh, let's end then with a sit meditation. I invite you to sit straight and fold your hands and bow.
slowly say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Mary, Mother of Contemplatives, pray for us. Meister Eckhart, pray for us. Matilda Magdeburn, pray for us. Blessings till next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Center for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.